Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Good to be back home. I just want to first uh, just thank you guys all for praying for for Jazz. It's been a long uh, two weeks for us, but she is doing much much better. Long story short, we asked you guys to pray, and basically the following day, the Lord gave a dream to a receptionist at a dentist office to give us a call <laughs> after I had left a, a message, a, a crazy story, but the Lord opened the door for us to get in right first thing and he made a way. So a uh, quick announcement, we're gonna do connection class after service today, 1.30 in the office. So if you guys are wanting to learn more about the church, get involved, that kind of thing, uh, 1.30 in the office. And uh, last but not least, um, we've been praying about uh, last, uh, was it corporate set? We were praying and Mark prayed about uh, more babies and Jazz is having a baby. (laughs) Yeah. So if you don't know, the doctors told Jazz when she was younger that she'd never be able to have children. So we're on to number two. <laughs> Praise God. Come on. Well, this morning we're going to be uh, talking about the Lord's Supper. And I'm really excited about it. The Lord's been dealing with us for a while about just how special this meal is. And uh, I want to just go through really its meaning, its history, and, and its benefits to the people of God. And so uh, the Lord, Lord, make my words direct and short so, <laughs> so I could get this all in. So listen, listen quickly, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16 and 17. As many of you know and have realized that we have started taking communion uh, every week as we gather together, the Lord's just been really speaking to us about the significance of the meal and uh, really looking throughout church history. It was something that they did every time that they got together. It was, it was very important to them, very central uh, to their gathering. And so um, I just pray that the Lord would just open up our, um, the, just the spirit of wisdom and revelation would rest on us regarding this meal and uh, that we would take something that maybe we've become familiar with and just see how holy and precious it really is to us and the grace that God imparts by his believers partaking in the meal together. So let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, 
we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your supper that you instituted on the night that you were betrayed. Lord, I pray that you would reveal just how glorious it has been to be invited to the table of the Lord and that we would reap all the benefits that you designed for it to give in our lives, personally and corporately in this house. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a, a term of what happens in the, the gathering of the saints. Uh, some people would call it the ordinary means of grace. So not ordinary in the sense of not sacred, but how the Lord flows through the, the moving and the progression of the service. So uh, I read here, uh, we preach the word, right? We pray the word, we sing the word, and we see the word. We see the word in baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we preach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, and we see the word in the supper and in baptism, the two sacraments uh, that we partake in. And the, the supper is, so I want to give some background, some definitions, so it'll all build together, uh, but it's really just profound how the Lord has instituted this meal and really the deep history even into the people of Israel and how it's all culminated in the church. So um, very interestingly, I started looking through the dating of books in the New Testament that actually Paul's uh, recollection of his revelation of the meal in chapter 11, where we normally read from when we present, this is actually the first in chronology of the Lord's Supper being actually written down. So 1 Corinthians was written before all the Gospels. So when Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I give to you, Paul received that from the Lord. He didn't read it in Matthew. <laughs> he had a revelation from God. Okay, and then the Gospels were written to testify to a lot of what Paul was teaching. And, and obviously the testimony of Jesus and his life and everything like that, but actually 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. So it's very interesting, actually very interesting, the disciples walked with Jesus for three years, right, in the flesh. Paul, when he was converted, was, before he went into ministry, he was away for three years learning from the Lord. It's like the Lord took him back to walk with him and teach him and then was sent out. It's glorious. <laughs> so when he says, I received from the Lord, this was a personal encounter with God about how that last supper went. It's almost like he brought him back to the supper and showed him how, to, how it went down. So this is glorious. But just for your own uh, understanding there. So some definitions. Uh, first, I want to run to our statement of faith that we have. If you haven't read the statement of faith on the website, I really encourage you to go and read through it. I'm a really weird theology nerd. I like collect statement of faith that I really like from different churches. I'm like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> but <laughs> I love theology. I love learning about God. Uh, so so uh, our home church statement of faith, section 9.2. Holy, <laughs> there's glory on statements of faith. 
Oh yeah, you get it in the in the Connects class. So so go there. Um, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, consisting in the elements, bread and the fruit of the vine, is a symbol expressing our sharing the divine nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, a memorial of His suffering and death, a prophecy of His second coming, and is instructed on all believers till He come. Uh, historical definition. So I'll I'll go back and forth between like some modern things and some historical things. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism, till 360 uh, or 76 years ago, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the, the Catechism was written, and they described the Lord's Supper like this. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, his death is showed forth. And they that worthily communicate or participate feed upon his body and blood to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace, have their union and communion with him confirmed, testify and renew their thankfulness and engagement to God. Engagement as in marrying, being betrothed to God. And their mutual love and fellowship each with each other as members as of his mystical body. So when we say mystical, we don't mean like Ouija boards and crystal balls. We mean experiential, but mysterious. So it's something that's true and real, but it's a mystery. <laughs> so that's what, that's what that means. So there are four main views of the Lord's Supper. And some of you would be um, aware of these different views, but... Uh, transubstantiation is a view the Catholics uh, hold. Some of you have um, come out of Catholicism. Um, consubstantiation, uh, there's mainly a Lutheran view. Um, spiritual presence uh, view, and I'll, I'll go through what these really mean, um, is more of the Reformed view. And then the memorial view is mostly what's held to in Baptist and evangelical, like mainstream evangelical and Pentecostal circles are mostly memorial view uh, people and uh, more and more I've been convinced of the spiritual presence view and what that means is that Christ is truly and really present in the supper but not physically and bodily for his human nature is in heaven seated at the right hand of the father but we commune with his divine nature which is omnipresent and specially present this is throughout the New Testament uh, and, and throughout church history. Um, his divine presence, it's, it's a little bit confusing, but it's very important. His divine presence is intrinsically linked to his human nature. His divine nature and his human nature are together. But we know that Christ is seated as a man at the right hand of the Father right now. He has not returned yet, but he will return bodily. That's very, very important. But he does not come down every time we take the sacrament bodily because we would have a million second comings then. But that's not true. That's not the case. But he comes down in a special way in the supper. And in truth, the Holy Spirit, and I'll read it, lifts us up to heaven to have a meal with God as the saints. Did you not know that you are seated in heavenly places with Christ if you are his church? <laughs> So after reading various church fathers and reformers, Puritans, uh, different people in church history, the Lord's Supper, I've realized two things. Number one, the Supper is not nearly as central 
to the Protestant gathering as it once was, and with that it's not nearly as revered or cherished or longed for. Back in the day, people were like fighting to get to the table. Like they, they, they saw this as vitally important to their spiritual life. And now it's like, oh, we didn't take communion in four months? Eh, you know? But they, they were like killing each other to get to the table because it's very important. Number two, the view of the supper that for me has been to seem most biblical is that spiritual uh, presence view made popular actually by Brother uh, John Calvin. So Calvin taught that though God's or Christ's body and blood remain in heaven in a, in a physical sense, they are spiritually made present by Jesus' omnipotent or omnipresent divine nature. So it's made present by his divine nature, wherein the divine nature of Christ is present and he is truly present. So we know that he is truly here. Where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. That is truth. He is really here. Not physically, but spiritually. And we commune with him in his divine nature, and we then in turn commune with his human nature. That is seated at the... It's beautiful. It's too, it's too much for words, really. But it's, this is truth that we need to be uh, clear on. So this is consistent with Jesus' own teaching. He said that he was going away, yet he would abide with us. Right? When we meet him in the Lord's Supper, we commune with him. By meeting him, or, or by meeting us in his divine presence, we are brought into the human presence mysteriously. <laughs> Because his divine nature is never separated from his human nature, okay? The divine nature leads us to the ascended Christ, and in the Lord's Supper, we have a taste of heaven. Partaking in the Lord's Supper causes the gospel to remain at the forefront of our minds. The, the, the sweetest thing about after week after week taking communion together it has reminded me time and time again that we only come in by the blood. <laughs> we only come in by the body and the blood of Christ. So as we partake, all striving and works go away, and we say, this is how I come into the presence of God. This is the only doorway into the presence of God. So it remains at the forefront of our mind, and I feel that we're only at the beginning of understanding the beautiful gift that we've been given in the Lord's uh, Supper. So I believe in the days ahead, as you know, some people say the Reformation ended way back, but I think the Reformation's still happening. <laughs> and uh, I believe in the days ahead, as the Reformation continues, the word and the sacrament will continue to take their place again, central to the, the meeting of the saints. And we, they will become more cherished. They will become more important to us. And we will long for them as the saints. If we happen to miss a Sunday, like me and Jazz painstakingly <laughs> did the last two weeks, we w nothing more in our hearts will be to be with the saints. We'll be yearning while you're sitting, God forbid, in the hospital, in the ER, and you miss service. You're like, oh, I want to be in service with the saints. I want to worship God with the saints. I want to partake of the supper with the saints. This is my life supply. And uh, I think the Lord will continue to give us that revelation. So remembrance is very precious to the Lord as you read throughout uh, 
the scriptures. You think of in the Old Testament, the memorial stones. God was constantly making landmarks and memorials to things that he accomplished to say, remember this and tell all your children and have their children tell their children. Remembrance is precious to the Lord. The fact that he has given us a written word keys us in that remembrance is of the utmost importance to God. He passed this testimony on generation to generation. And there is a unique link in the New Testament between the gospel's benefits that come to the saints and the remembrance of those benefits. So we could see in an Old Testament um, example where David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's like telling himself to bless the Lord. And then it says, forget not all his benefits. Because he's saying, oh, I'm starting to forget about who God is and what he's like. And remembrance is at the key, is at the, the center of, of the life of the Christian. And so what we need is for a continued remembrance of the gospel. And that's what the supper does. So the institution of the supper, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So he gives us another memorial in the sense of a landmark to look back to as a symbol and a sign of what he's accomplished. So Peter, and then throughout the New Testament, Peter says, I will not fail to put you in remembrance of the things that you already know. And Paul says concerning the gospel, now I will remind you. So he, these, the men are saying like, we've only got one message, the gospel. <laughs> I'm going to keep telling you the gospel in a million different ways. It's one sermon told infinitely in of infinitely different ways. It's just the gospel. <laughs> and it, it, we're seeing that remembrance is key um, to the heart of God. Interestingly, this is, this blew my mind. The word apostasy for which we use for someone rejecting Christ who once professed to following him ironically or not so ironically at the root of that means to forget. When we forget Christ, we end up rejecting Christ. So the Lord gives us a physical sign in the body and the blood because we are physical people and God knows that we need something visual in front of us. Lord, give me a visual, not just some thoughts. Give me something that I can hold in my hand. Give me something that I can hold in my hand because he knows that we're linked to these things. So very interesting that apostasy means to forget. Remembrance is necessary because we humans are forgetful. <laughs> I know I am. So 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we'll look at our text again. The cup of blessing that we bless is to say that it is a consecrated cup, as is the bread. It is that it is special, it is set apart, it is marked by virtue of who it has given it to us. So the reason the, the cup is blessed and the bread is blessed, it's not because uh, a pastor or a priest prays over it. It's because Christ himself gave it to us. All that Christ has given his people is sacred. 
the institution of the Lord's Supper is no different. No, not specifically in regards to the objects themselves as much as the source from which the blessing comes. A participation in our text there is a Greek word that many of you will actually recognize. It's koinonia. It's fellowship. It's participation. Is not the cup that we bless a participation, fellowship with the blood? fellowship with the body of Christ. So, and commonly in the New Testament, that word koinonia is normally used for the fellowship of the believers together. But we're told here that we have fellowship with the blood, fellowship with the body in a mysterious way. Romans 6, you have been crucified with Christ. I don't know how that, that happened, but it's true. <laughs> if you believe in Christ, you were there. <laughs> and your sinful nature was nailed to that cross. I can't explain this to you, but it's true. And through the eyes of faith, we believe it. We are the one, um, sorry, we who are one, as speaking of the body of Christ, have access to the benefits of Christ's death. You know, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, the filling of the Spirit. And two, so there's these, this twofold thing. We access personal benefit, and then on the other side, because we are part of the body of Christ, we experience benefit by being together um, on the Lord's Day and throughout the week, however we, we meet together. And so a part of the mysterious body of Christ, we are somehow his hands and feet extended to the world, to each other, right? That's a mystery. How can I be Jesus' hands? Because he's flowing through us. But that's why this message doesn't make sense to someone that's not filled with the Spirit. That only through the eyes of faith can, through the illumination of the Spirit, can anything in the Christian life actually make sense. That's why Paul said, our preaching is foolish to those who are perishing. But to those who are being made alive, it is life, <laughs> right? So I think that through this supper, we're also going to find more and more, and I've, I've actually sensed it, more of a unity that we have together, the more we partake together. It's, it's, it's just sowing our bonds uh, together of friendship, of family, of brothers and sisters, I've actually been sensing, I, I'm, I've, I've let myself out of the bag uh, before. I'm a nerd, so, uh, but <laughs> I love reading church history. Crystal say, yes, you are. Um, re reading church history, I'm reading and I'm saying, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my family history. <laughs> and the more we could see that this is way bigger than ourselves. And so when we come to the table, <laughs> <laughs> in, another, in another mystery, if we are brought up to Christ to have a meal with God, as the saints have always believed, then not only are we partaking together here, but we're partaking with the saints that have gone before us. As the body of Christ is one, both so we call the church that is visible here and alive is the church militant, and those that are in heaven are the church triumphant. So both the church militant and the church triumphant come together in the supper. 
when we worship. And that's like in Hebrews 12, where you know, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, right? To the city of innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the saints, right? So we, we come together as we worship. It's much bigger than ourselves. This is glorious. <laughs> I felt the Lord when I started talking about that. Oh. So we fellowship with his benefits by spiritually consuming Christ in the supper because we are his spiritual body. So the supper is a prophetic act. A prophetic act is defined as a nonverbal action employed to demonstrate a message through the, participant, through the participants to those looking on. So let me read that again. A nonverbal action employed to demonstrate a message through the participants to those looking on. So the supper is a message declared by an action. Not so much by speech, but by all of us partaking, we are actually prophetically declaring a message. So it's an action because Jesus said, do this. And then as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the fact that by all of us sitting there in that moment where we say, okay, now let's all partake of the bread. When we put that bread to our mouth, we are proclaiming that Christ has died in our place. And the same with the, with the cup. I wrote down four declarations. Uh, there, there may be more, and this is just of my own thought as the Lord led me. By partaking of the supper, we declare that Christ has died. Therefore, my debt is paid, and I am right with God. We declare that Christ is raised. Therefore, I am saved, spirit, soul, and body. We declare Christ reigns. Therefore, he is king and Lord of all. I am his and belong to his church militant and one day triumphant. Amen. By partaking, we declare Christ is coming. Therefore, hope is my portion and his glory alone is my aim. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just really grab hold of these together, okay? By partaking, we declare that Christ has died. Therefore, my debt is paid and I am right with God. By partaking, we declare that Christ is raised. Therefore, I am saved, spirit, soul, and body. By partaking, we declare Christ reigns. Therefore, he is king and Lord of all. I am his and belong to his church militant and one day triumphant. By partaking, we declare Christ is coming again. Therefore, hope is my portion, and his glory alone is my aim. I feel the Lord. <laughs> Praise you, God. So I want to run to our brothers from the past in history as they viewed the supper. So Cyprian, in the third century, tells us that when the primitive Christians were to appear before cruel tyrants in the time of persecutions, that if they knew it was coming, they would all gather together and they would receive the sacrament together. And he said, they arose from the Lord's table as lions breathing forth the fire of heavenly courage. <laughs> that they'd sit down together 
probably with fear of knowing what's to come, after they partook of the supper, they stood up filled with courage and boldness to face whatever would be before them. This is not mere ceremony. This is not just a memorial. St. John Chrysostom said, Christ is present in the supper. The one Christ who prepared that supper on Holy Thursday is the one who now prepares this altar table for us today. John Calvin in uh, 1541, the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Indeed, it looks back to Christ's sacrifice, but it also looks forward to the marriage supper at the end of the age. When the saints partake of the supper, they are lifted up to heaven to have a meal with God as a foretaste of the consummation of our salvation. (laughs) John Knox, the Scottish reformer, said, First, we confess that this is a holy action, ordained of God, in which the Lord Jesus, by earthly and visible things set before us, lifts us up to heaven and to the invisible things, and that he, when he had prepared his spiritual banquet, he witnessed that he himself was the living bread, wherewith our souls are fed unto eternal life. And I'll just read one more. I have so many here. <laughs> Matthew Henry in the 17th century, the famous Bible commentator, uh, he said, he explained, we live in a world of sense, not yet in the world of spirits, and because we therefore find it hard to look above to the things that are unseen, we are directed in the sacrament to look through the body and the blood to those things that which we can't see, by which they are represented. So we do not see Christ yet by sight in his human nature. One day our faith will be sight when he comes. But right now we look through the body and the blood in the table to the, those things unseen. This is, this is the, the pure teaching of the church throughout church history. Um, another document, a confession of faith in the 1600s, they say worthy receivers, right? And 1 Corinthians 11 says, partaking of the body and the blood in a worthy manner. Worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance do then also inwardly by faith really and indeed yet not carnally and corporally so not in his human nature we're not eating Jesus's flesh and blood but in in the physical sense but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified that's where all the benefits of his death come from the body and the blood of Christ being then not carnal but spiritual present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as elements themselves um, that we partake in an outward sense. So I want to address something quickly because I, I, I think there's actually a lot of us that have come out of a Catholic background, and I want to just correct a, a thought here, and it's very important. <laughs> I, know, I know I'm a little bit more reformer than some of my associates, but, <laughs> but I feel it's important to talk about this. So if you look back in the, in the council where, where the Catholics kind of ironed out their theology, um, you can read it for yourself. The Council of Trent, it's called, Session 22, Chapter 2. The Mass is called a propitiatory sacrifice. They believe every time that they do the Mass, they are re-crucifying Jesus. 
that is against the plain teaching of the book of Hebrews. It, they call it an unbloody sacrifice. They say it's just as potent as the first. This is not the case. So I want to, I want to show you that, that not only is that it, it borderlines blasphemy, to, to be honest, because Christ is a once-for-all sacrifice. Okay? His sacrifice does not need to be repeated. His body and blood was shed one time for all time. And when we come to the body and the blood of Christ, uh, we are not re-crucifying the Lord. We are partaking of his once-for-all sacrifice on Calvary. So I'm going to leave that there. I have a lot written on that, but I'm not going <laughs> to continue. I'm, I'm going to just gonna skip over that. <laughs> so that, that would be the, the thought of the transubstantiation, that when the priest blesses the, the bread and the cup, they actually become the physical body and blood of Jesus. And that is not the case. Um, yes. So the alternative there is that Christ is truly present spiritually with us. And it's actually in a different way than his omnipresence. It's not just that he exists everywhere. That when we come and we give thanks for this meal and we partake of it, there's a special grace that we partake of as believers. It's also, it's so, it's such a potent thing. And I don't know how I didn't realize this over the years, taking communion, you know, as often as we did. When, when it says, if you don't partake in a worthy manner, that is why some of you are sick and have died. If you could die from taking it wrongly, what could happen when you take it rightly? Uh, I just think that there's more power in this meal than we've ever really given thought to. It's very important. It's precious. It's holy. It's, yeah, but, but we're not superstitious in, in that sense of it actually becoming the physical body and, and blood of Jesus. It got so bad in the Catholic Church at one point that if the priest accidentally spilled a little bit of the cup on the floor, they would get down on the floor and lick, up, lick it up because they couldn't waste any of it. We are not superstitious. We look on, through eyes of faith on the spiritual presence of God in the body and the blood of Christ. Partaking in a worthy manner. Let's uh, hurry up, Johnny, please. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> I love you too. Uh, so partaking in a worthy manner. Qualifications to partake of the supper. So um, this is not open to the world to take. This is, this is, this table is reserved for those that are a part of the body of Christ. One, because it only benefits the body of Christ. But two, if it's true that you, if you partake in an unworthy manner, it could be detrimental to your life. We also want to protect you from the table if you don't, if you're not a Christian. So it's qualifications to uh, partake. You profess Christ as Lord and you are born again. Uh, and in history, you actually had to be baptized before you're allowed to partake of the, the Lord's Supper as well. Um, so questions about communion go all the way back to the very early church. The issue is addressed in the Didache, um, one of the first documents of the church, um, in the early church, uh, that baptism was a prerequisite. And Justin Martyr, um, one of the early saints, uh, he laid down three requirements. He said belief in the church's teaching, baptism, and living as Christ has told us to. So actually visible 
viewing of a sanctification that's happening in your life was actually, the, <laughs> this is funny, I think we've talked about this before, in the early church, you actually weren't allowed to even be baptized until a year after your conversion to make sure that you were actually converted. Because <laughs> they wanted to make sure. This is, these are precious sacraments. These are precious things. When we are baptized, we don't do it in just a flippant way. They're a pre prescribed way and a holy way. Justin Martyr said in, in 100 AD, uh, or in the second century, uh, we call this food Eucharist. Uh, that word means uh, thanks, giving thanks. No one else is permitted to partake of it except ones who believe our teaching to be true and who have been washed in the washing, which is the remission of sin and for regeneration, and is thereby living as Christ has told us to live. It was common practice in, the church, in church history and even common day, if you were asked to leave a church, if you were under some kind of like church discipline, you weren't, one, you weren't allowed to come to the gathering or partake of the supper, but you also weren't allowed to go to somebody else's church to go get the supper <laughs> from someone else. This, it was such, so important to people that truly understood the significance of it, that if you got kicked out of a church, they were running to the next church to try to get to the table because they, they, they needed it. They knew, but when you're under church discipline, it's actually withheld from you because there's a, a time of like, you need to repent of the willful sin that you're living in, and then you can come back to fellowship uh, with the saints. Very important. Paul writes extensively on this in the New Testament. Uh, that is to say that if you've been asked to leave a church and you're living in unrepentant sin, don't come to our church to try to get to the table. <laughs> reconcile what needs to be reconciled in the past, right? It says that if you come to the altar, Jesus said, if you come to the altar and you have a problem with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile with your brother. Right. Uh, it, obedience is better than sacrifice, right? So we want to restore relationships. We're not running from table to table to try to see who would let us get there. It's very important. This is this is precious to the Lord. He added it to his word. We must partake in a worthy manner. So there's a sense in which we guard the table. It's like there's prerequisites to coming to the table, not because we're mean. We're actually loving you by keeping you from the table because we don't want you to partake in an unworthy manner. But on the flip side, as believers, we cannot neglect the table. So just because you think you're not doing so great doesn't mean you don't partake. You must partake. One, it's a command of God. Do this. It's a command of the Lord Jesus Christ to partake of this. If you're struggling and you're repentant in your heart, this meal gives grace to that to overcome those sins that so easily entangle us. But if you have an, uh, if you have an unrepentant uh, heart, the meal is no uh, benefit to you. But if you're repentant and grieved in your heart by the sin that you are repeating, you come to this table and say, Lord, the sin that you paid for when you first saved me, you paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. So I run to you and partake of the table. So I, I, was, I think I was talking with somebody before prayer set um, a, a little while back, and I was talking about sometimes I beat myself up because even like going through what we went through with jazz, you know, we're praying day after day and nothing, we don't see breakthrough. Two weeks of, of praying, excruciating pain and not seeing breakthrough. And I, I start to beat myself up and it's like, Lord, I, 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 maybe I don't have enough faith. 
uh, maybe I'm, I'm beginning to doubt. I'm beginning to doubt that you want to come through in this moment. And, and Jesus, Jesus said to me, did I pay for your sin? And I said, yes, Lord, <laughs> he paid for my sin. He said, is, is a lack of faith sin? I said, yes. He said, I paid for that. Amen. <laughs> I paid for that. So come to me. Recognize your need for the Lord and run to him and partake. Saints, do not neglect the table. It is grace to you. Empowerment. Grace doesn't just mean unmerited favor. It's the empowerment of God to you. So we must not um, pass over the cup and the bread if we are indeed actually born again. Assurance of salvation is actually something I'm very passionate about. I, I kind of grew up in a thing where I was like, I was in, I was out, I was in, I was out. No strength of that salvation. I, I, I'm very passionate about if you've surrendered your life to Christ and you are grieved by your sin, that, that is evidence of the born-again experience in your life. So come to the table boldly. Um, I'll skip, skip over some of this. Um, so even the supper was longed for in such a way that if a saint couldn't make the meeting, say they were sick and they were in their house, one of the elders would actually take the bread and the cup to them in their home to make sure that they experience the blessing of being a part of the corporate body of Christ. Very, very precious as you read about it throughout church history. Um, giving thanks in the supper. I want to read from a, a book I actually flew through um, this, this past week. It's just so precious. Simply titled The Lord's Supper um, by Thomas Watson. He said, we should pray that God would enrich his ordinance with his presence that he would make the sacrament effectual to all those holy ends and purposes for which he has appointed it, that it may be the feast of our graces and the funeral of our corruptions, <laughs> that it may not only be a sign to represent, but an instrument to convey Christ to us and a seal to assure us of our heavenly union with Christ. He said again, this is to make the Lord's Supper in a spiritual sense a feast of dedication when we renew our vows and give ourselves to God's service. Lord, all I have is thine. My head shall be thine to study for thee. My hand shall be thine to work for thee. My heart shall be thine to adore thee. And my tongue shall be thine to praise thee. Praise God. Think about this. For 2,000 years now, every week, the body of Christ obeys Christ by partaking of, of the supper. Christ instituted something and said, do this in remembrance of me. And the saints have not stopped doing it for 2,000 years. I love that. <laughs> yeah, 2,000 years. So three benefits of partaking in a worthy manner. Our communion with Christ is enriched. We are refreshed by the gospel through remembrance. And there's healing in the body and the blood that comes to us. There's stories, uh, there's too many to count, of people just partaking in the supper, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus, and healing comes to their body. Cancers healed, back issues healed. I mean, the, the list is end endless. If you come in a worthy manner and partake, 
knowing that Christ in Christ is all that you ever need, spirit, soul, and body, there is true healing in the body and the blood of Christ. So maybe um, maybe we could throw something on, Mark. Um, I just want to read something that I, I wrote down as we prepare our hearts for uh, communion. We're going to look back and see the history of the supper and then see Christ as the fulfillment of that. Um, what we're going to do, uh, I hope we could do it in, in a rather quick way, but what I'd like to do is if you, you are born again, you love Jesus, I would actually like to invite you, after I read this, I'll, I'll invite you up to actually come. On this side, I'd like you to come up here and, and take one. And on this side, come and take one and go back to your seat. Uh, I believe more and more, because it's a prophetic, prophetic act, by coming up, walking up and coming to the table, you're saying, I belong to Jesus. Okay? And, and I think that public profession of faith is more and more needed. So sometimes in uh, a nominal, you know, I've done this before. Everybody close your eyes, raise your hand if you want to belong to Jesus. It was like the, the early Christians, as soon as they gave their life to Jesus, they were getting their head cut off. They weren't, hide, they, weren't bowing, they weren't hiding to tell people about it. Like they were public about it. And I think we need to be public about our love for Jesus. Uh, so, so we'll come up and we'll do that. So the history of the supper, the Passover in relation to the supper. It is no accident. So as I read this, just begin to prepare your hearts if you need to close your eyes, but just listen to, to what I'm saying. It is no accident that the Lord institutes the Holy Supper on the eve of the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. The Passover feast was of the highest importance to the Jewish calendar as they remembered Yahweh's great deliverance of the Hebrew people from slavery and tyranny of Pharaoh. Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God brought his wrath and judgment on Egypt for the mistreatment of his people. As he released the just penalty of the sins of the Egyptians, God provided a means of salvation for the Hebrew people. A lamb... A lamb was to be slaughtered and its blood applied to the door frames of the homes belonging to the people of God. The Lord sent the angel of death to Egypt to kill the firstborn of every household that did not have the blood of the lamb on the entranceway. And in reality, the lamb was a substitute for the place of the Hebrew children. The lamb was consumed by the people as nourishment for the journey ahead. The Passover feast was an annual reminder of the faithfulness of Yahweh to his covenant people. Now looking forward to Christ, we see he takes this very important Passover meal of remembrance and fulfills its foreshadowing of a better lamb. Christ, the leader of the true exodus. Soon after Christ is born, his mother takes him to flee from the wrath of a jealous king that heard of his death, or sorry, heard of his birth, and ordered all the young boys to be killed. I'm sure this sounds familiar to you. Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh orders the killing of all the young boys for fear of their number growing too great. And Moses is spared by his mother 
by sending him down the river to Pharaoh's house. Likewise, Jesus is brought to Egypt by his mother to preserve the true deliverer. Fast forwarding before starting his ministry, Christ passes through the waters of baptism as Israel passed through the Red Sea. Israel ends up 40 years in the wilderness and Christ is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses heals the sick with a serpent lifted up on a pole and Christ heals the diseases of the people as he emerges from the wilderness. Moses gives the law on Mount Sinai and Christ gives a summary of the law on a mountain as well, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Christ, the true Moses, performs the ultimate deliverance of God's people from the slavery and tyranny of sin, death, and the devil, not by means of a lamb, but because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Body broken, blood spilled and applied to those in covenant union with him through faith. As we partake of the supper, as the Hebrews were nourished by the lamb for their freedom journey, so too are we nourished by Christ the lamb as we eat the bread and drink the cup. I'm just going to begin to invite you, if we could just kind of go row by row. If you are born again, you love Jesus, you have repented of your sins, and you want to love him all of your days, I invite you to the communion table to partake with the saints. So if this side would just begin to come up and go to this uh, side, and this side can begin to come to this side and go back to your seats. Thank you, Lord. Precious Jesus. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, or New Covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's all stand together. I want to read those declarations again. By partaking, I'm just going to make this a prayer. Father, by partaking, we declare that Christ has died. Therefore, my debt is paid, and I am right with you. By partaking, we declare that Christ is raised. Therefore, I am saved, spirit, soul, and body. Lord, by partaking, we declare that Christ reigns. Therefore, he is king and Lord of all, and we are his, and we belong to one another as the church militant and one day triumphant. 
by partaking of this, we declare, Lord, that you are coming again. Therefore, hope is our portion, and your glory is the only aim of our lives. So, Lord, we lift the bread before you. We thank you for your broken body, the distance for which you came to ransom your people, God. Oh, praise your name. Lord, all of our days, as we partake of this meal, let every one of these declarations be made real by our partaking of the meal. Let us partake of the bread together. Let us lift the cup together. Oh, Jesus, we recognize that you are here with us. I pray that every spiritual nourishment that was meant by you when you gave this to us would be reality as this cup meets our lips. Lord, and that every body that needs healing would be met by the grace of your spirit as we partake of this cup. Lord, we thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, let's partake. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to lift your hands and thank him. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord. We love your body. We love your blood. And we remember you today. We remember that while we were still far off, you came running, God. You came running, Lord. When we were not on your mind, when, when, when you were not on our mind, we were on your mind, God. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the body and the blood. Lord, we thank you for the healings that are taking place right now. That as the body and the blood begins to move through our digestive system, <laughs> that those that need healing, God, that you are touching them right now. It's only by the blood. It's only by the blood that no man may boast. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that the assurance of salvation is coming to your saints. The strength of the redemption for which you worked is coming to your saints right now. We thank you that from this moment on, when we mess up, we're no longer going to run from you. We're going to run to you. Because you are our portion. You are our Savior. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount 
824-321. Bless you.